Welcome to GEMCAST, the Geriatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, where we discuss important topics in the care of older patients in the emergency department. I'm your host, Christina Shenby. GEMCAST is produced with the Geriatric ED Collaborative. You can find more episodes on any podcasting app, and you can find the show notes on the resources page of gedcollaborative.com. Welcome to GEMCAST. I am excited about our topic today because it is so critical and so specific to geriatric care. And I'm also excited to welcome a first-time guest to GEMCAST, Dr. Chrissy Binkley. Chrissy was a geriatric EM fellow here at UNC, where I am, and recently finished that and now is working at Kishwaukee Hospital in Illinois. Chrissy, welcome to GEMCAST. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Now, for those of you who are listening who did not know that there exists a geriatric EM fellowship, not to fret, there is still time to change careers and go back and get that fellowship training. So Chrissy, I'm excited to talk about this because dementia care can be in some ways intimidating. We know when we have patients who have cognitive impairment or a diagnosis of dementia, it introduces a lot of challenges and uncertainties. And it's also an opportunity for us to be better informed and take better care of those patients. So from your perspective, why is this topic of dementia care in the ED important to every emergency physician out there, except PDM? But if you see adults, why is this important? Well, you know, as the population ages, obviously, so does the prevalence of dementia. So we're going to be seeing it a lot more in the emergency department. And as studies have shown, patients with dementia visit the ED more frequently and were hospitalized more often with an increased odds of returning to the ED within 30 days than those without dementia. I think it's important that we're thoughtful in caring for these patients in the ED setting to reduce mortality, morbidity, and overall harm to these patients. So it's important because it's growing in prevalence. And also these patients can have more frequent ED visits, more frequent returns to to the ED or hospitalizations, et cetera. Exactly. So what can we do in the ED as we're thinking about the patient with dementia whom we may see tomorrow, what should we be thinking about for caring for these patients? Well, first, I think it's important to understand what's at stake when we don't care for these patients well in the ED, and that is missed or delayed diagnosis. Things that contribute to us missing the diagnosis include incomplete history and physicals, atypical presentations that trip us up, anchoring on nonspecific abnormalities that we see on chest x-ray or EKG, um, urine testing, etc. And then difficulty determining whether there was an acute change in their mental status. I also think it's important to recognize patients with dementia early in their ED course so we can adjust our plans and expectations for their immediate care. And I think the worst thing we can do is leave a demented patient in the hallway for a few hours, say on a busy day in the emergency department, they might wander off or develop delirium just from the environment that we've placed them in. Those are some great points. And we've talked before on GEMCAST about delirium several times. And what's complicated and challenging with dementia is that patients who 
have dementia are more likely to develop delirium. And so then you can have this chronic cognitive impairment and a superimposed acute delirium change, which then makes it more challenging. So you've, you've highlighted some of the challenges and things that we should consider. How can we take better care of these patients? First and foremost, I think doing a complete history and physical is the, is the step in the right direction. At times it's impossible to get an accurate history, but the worst thing that you can do is see a dementia diagnosis and not even try, which I think unfortunately happens too often. I think it's so important to call the facility that they came from or the primary caregiver to get more information. Even if you've already received a secondhand report from EMS, I think you should still do this because you'll often get more information. What was the change in their baseline that sent them in? What is their baseline? I think that if you remember the game of telephone you played when you were a kid, I think that's still that game is alive and well, and we're really playing it in the world of medical care but it's not a game anymore and the stakes are a lot higher. So it's always better to go back to the original source. That's such a key point. And with delirium or with dementia, it's important to go back and find out what is their baseline? Are they usually ambulatory and conversational or what's the, are they normally A and O times four? Are they A and O times one? Exactly. Just as a style point, realize that the range of dementia in patients can be very broad and consider including them in the process of the history taking. Don't just ignore them and only talk to the caregiver. And while you do see a lot of severe dementia where they can't participate at all, much of the time they are aware enough to participate somewhat, even if they aren't correct or can't remember. And I think it's important to include them and not just talk over them. So include the patient as much as they're able to, but get corroborating information from a caregiver, a family member, or someone who has seen them recently. What about for the physical exam? For the physical exam, we do have to spend extra time looking at them from head to toe, which again, in a, in a busy ER can be really difficult, but we need to look for rashes and wounds and pain in places they might not be able to tell us about initially unwrap that leg that looks like it's been wrapped for a while and see if there's a festering wound under there that could be causing them to be more confused than normal. All right. So we get a good history. We get collateral information. We do a thorough physical head to toe, and then talk us through how we should think about building our differential diagnosis. Yeah. So while we try to get a good history to narrow down our differential, I think it's still important to consider atypical presentations and perhaps throw out a wider net in our workup than we might for someone of the same age that's still living independently and managing their own care and can tell us more about what they're feeling. Remember that ACS or acute coronary syndrome can present as the most subtle of findings in older patients and getting that EKG with cardiac markers or even a head CT is always an important consideration depending on the specific scenario. I actually have a mentor from UNC who once told me, you should be talking me out of the CT in an older patient rather than into it. And also don't anchor on that dirty urine. Nicole and Danya from your previous podcast did a great job discussing the importance of this. So I won't spend too long harping on it, but this is one of the greatest downfalls we see in the emergency department. A basic workup is negative. 
for a dementia patient. So we call that one plus bacteria with trace leukocyte esterase, a UTI, give them antibiotics and call it a day. And the last key point is to give the patient good discharge instructions. It's ideal to talk to their caregiver verbally, even if that's over the phone, in addition to specific written instructions related to follow-up needs, need for follow-up appointments, medication changes, and symptoms to watch for after discharge. And extra points if you make that font 16 plus in size so <laughs> yes. for them to read. <laughs> yes, definitely. So when they're in the ED, we want to do our thorough history and physical, get collateral, have a broad, broader differential just because we have less to go on where our history and physical are still less reliable or more challenging. So casting a broad net and then involving the family or caregivers again at the point of discharge. And, you know, with COVID and fewer visitors being allowed, fortunately, hospitals have recognized that you have to let a caregiver in for a demented patient. Just like with a pediatric patient, you can't take the child alone without their caregiver or parent. And so it's important to have that caregiver there, both through the history and physical process, as well as to provide company and comfort and reorientation for the patient during their ED visit, but then also to involve them at discharge. So what are some next steps or things that we can do in addition to improve care for our dementia patients? You know, more so than ever, we're seeing more patients coming into the ED with family members who feel they can't safely take care of them at home and want immediate solutions. And these are the cases that just break my heart the most uh, because in the emergency department setting, we don't have the ability to place them in the appropriate long-term care facility. And I think the biggest thing we can do in these moments is provide resources to the family and just address the elephant in the room, that it can be exhausting caring for family members with dementia and affirm them for their hard work. Get case management involved for resources specific to your state and or county. Um, Where I work, there's a service called Elder Care that will do home visits and evaluations to help with placement of patients with dementia that can't adequately be cared for at home anymore. And then the Alzheimer's Association has several available resources, even a free 24-7 helpline, care consultations that can be scheduled over the phone or in person, and a website with online information and resources to help them. Those are important points. And like with many things with geriatric acute care, This is not a problem that can be solved at 2 a.m. It has to be solved with an interdisciplinary group during daylight hours where you get together and say, all right, how are we going to help our patients who come in at 2 a.m. altered or, you know, with some acute condition who really need placement in a higher level of care or their family can no longer safely help them at home or they're in an assisted living, but really they need skilled nursing and solving that problem beforehand, or at least having a pathway to say, all right, case management will see them. They'll initiate discussions. These are our options, et cetera, et cetera. And it can be complicated with various regulations with Medicare and payments and things like that. And that's why it has to be solved ahead of time, not at two in the morning. 
But I love the idea of at least addressing with the family or the caregivers that this is exhausting. This is really difficult work and affirming their caregiving, because sometimes that is what brings them in. You know, sometimes it's an acute change like a UTI or a fall or a pneumonia, but other times it's really the family or caregivers are at their wits end. And that's the acute stimulus that brings them in to see a physician. So what are some take-home points for the ED physician who's going to see patients absolutely every shift who have dementia? I think the key points here are that a good history and physical takes time. Talk to the primary caregiver. Toss out a wide net, but don't anchor to the first abnormal thing you find. Make sure that it makes sense with the picture that you're presented with. And give patients and caregivers good verbal and written instructions for outpatient management. Those things, I think, will make a huge difference in how we care for the de- our demented patients in the emergency department. Those are great tips. And, you know, some places, such as our one of our hospitals here at UNC at Hillsborough, the entire hospital has embraced a dementia-friendly care. And everyone has gotten training on this. And so even the inpatient teams are getting training on awareness and how to interact with patients who have dementia and other ideas from other places that I've seen. I can't remember which hospital it was, but they had a fantastic volunteer program where volunteers who often they don't have that much that they're capable of doing because they don't have specific training and they're mostly bringing water, answering call bells, getting blankets. But in this ED, they had gone through an extensive training program for how to sit with and interact with and be with patients who have dementia. And so if there was a volunteer there, they could sit with the patient and help reorient them. They were trained in how to interact and speak with them. And uh, that was a great resource for those demented patients because one of the challenges that we, we have is patients with dementia, especially with acute delirium on top of it, they may, as you mentioned, try to wander. They may walk out of the room. They might need a sitter or they might try to pull out their IVs or, or their catheters and all the same things that we talk about in delirium apply, you know, reducing the, the, anything that's restraining, if it's not necessary, like an IV, a pulley catheter or blood pressure cuff. And, and then having to have that one-on-one sitter sometimes just for patient safety. So I, I think it's great that you're raising awareness of this topic And hopefully there's more that will come down the pipe in terms of research or things that we can do in addition in the ED or ways that we can keep patients safely at home more or ways that we can have outpatient management that's effective because at this point it really is, it's just a challenging syndrome that on top of the acute uh, condition that might bring them to the ED makes these patients people that we really have to be more thoughtful about that. We can't just leave in the hallway bed and run the urine and call it a day. We really need to take that extra time, which I know that is a big ask in a busy ED, but taking that extra time to get the patient into a room, do a thorough exam. I've frequently found otherwise unidentified sacral ulcers or heel ulcers or other sorts of things that could be a nidus of infection or could be causing pain. And so taking the extra time to go do that history and physical, you will find things that will change the outcome for that patient. 
I think the other thing that's really important is recognizing that sometimes you might not find the thing and you can do all the searching in the world. You can scan them from head to toe and you just might not figure out why they're a little more confused than normal or how to change in their baseline. And rather than giving them the antibiotics they don't need, maybe it's talking to their primary care doctor or telling the family to follow up closely. You know, I think we are so often fraught with, we need to find the diagnosis or pin it down somehow. And it's okay to not know if they're safe enough to go back home or you admit them for further workup. But I think don't misdiagnose them because you're looking for a diagnosis. That's a great point. Our goal in the ED, and I tell this to patients a lot, is we want to make sure there's nothing dangerous or life-threatening going on, but we may not figure out today what's causing this change in symptoms, or this may be just progression of disease. Sometimes you'll see patients who the adult child who hasn't seen the parent in six months comes into town and says, oh, wow, mom or dad is really different but actually it's been a gradual change over six months that they just haven't seen. And there's nothing acutely that we can find. It's just the progression of their disease process. So those are great points. Look for an underlying cause when we can, but we can't always find one. And if the patient is safe to go home and can have follow-up and workup as needed as an outpatient, great. If not, sometimes we have to admit to help figure it out because we can't always figure things out in the ED. Right. Thanks so much, Chrissy, for being on GEMCAST and for bringing attention to this important patient population in the ED. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you for listening to this episode of GEMCAST. You can connect with me on Twitter with the handle at GEMPodcast. You can also navigate over to gedcollaborative.com for more resources on the care of older patients.